0: Good morning. Good to see you all again. This fine, beautiful morning. Praise God. Um, so last week, uh, we went over the first part of the gospel. And if you remember, there are three parts to the gospel. There's yes, thank you for the music accompaniment. Three parts. There's the kingdom, the cross. In the resurrection and last week we talked about the kingdom and the kingdom was the center of jesus ministry and we could see that in matthew four seventeen, from the very beginning of jesus ministry it says from that time on he's preaching about the kingdom of heaven from the very beginning of jesus ministry he was preaching about the kingdom and it wasn't until matthew 16 21 just about two-thirds into Jesus' mystery that he was talking about his death and resurrection. So Jesus' message was so much about the kingdom. And we 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 know that the kingdom is a never-ending celebration. And when we think of the most happy place here on earth, many people think of Walt Disney World. But I talked about how last week Walt Disney World doesn't even compare to the kingdom because when we went to Walt Disney World in first grade, my little sister, just a half hour into our trip, she fell and scraped up her knee pretty bad, and she was in tears. But in the kingdom, we are promised a life that is never ending, and there will be no more crying, nor tears, nor pain, or, or sickness no more, for the former things have passed away. That's the promises that we are assured of and that we can partake in in the future. And so this week, we're going to continue with the gospel again. And so last week, we talked about the kingdom. And so this week, we're going to finish the gospel talking about the cross and the resurrection. And so let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, um, just thank you for bringing us all here this morning. Uh, such beautiful weather out. Uh, you have such a beautiful creation that reflects the beautiful creator you are, Father. God, I just ask that you be with us this morning, uh, help us learn what the gospel is all about, uh, that we can just realize the love that you have for us, that you poured out for us through the cross and the resurrection and the kingdom. Father, just thank you for all your many blessings that you pour out onto us, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, so we're just going to go ahead off and get started. We're going to go ahead and with, go ahead and flip to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. And we're just going to go ahead and walk through the story of Jesus and his death on the cross. The story of Jesus and his death starts in, uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and start a little prior to that, in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was the same night that Jesus was arrested and then later killed. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus brought with him his three closest disciples, his three best friends, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus just asked his disciples, guys, just do this one thing for me, one thing. Just pray for me. Just pray for me. Just do this one thing and pray for me. And not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus comes back, to see his three closest disciples, his three best friends, the three people that he can trust the most, they're asleep when all that Jesus wanted his disciples to do was pray for him. Jesus was so stressed out that in the Luke's account of the gospel that Jesus' sweat became like drops of blood. This was an anxious time for Jesus, and he was stressed out because he realized that his life was coming to end. He was going to have to endure the pain on the cross. And if we continue through the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, there, while they were praying or while Jesus was talking to them, Judas, one of Jesus' 12 beloved disciples, Judas, someone that Jesus poured his love out onto. He led and comforted Judas through, through through his ministry. But how does Judas return the favor? How does Judas return the love that Christ poured out onto him? Judas betrayed Jesus with the kiss. Now imagine one of your loved ones who you pour your love and your life out onto returns that love with a kiss of betrayal. A kiss of betrayal that leads to your future death. What an awful time this is already starting for Jesus as one of his 12 disciples was betraying him with the kiss and leading him to his death. And so as Judas goes there, they they arrest him, and they bring him to Caiaphas. So we continue the story in Matthew uh, chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 57. And it reads, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? So here we are, Jesus before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin Council. The Sanhedrin Council is basically just uh, the group of the, the Jews of the highest rankings, And so these Jews who, in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to this Messiah and Christ. And these Jews here, they did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, was the the Messiah. And so they're trying to find false testimony to put Jesus to the crucifixion, to put him to execution, to kill him. But they can find nothing. And finally, someone says that he claims he could destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And they asked him, Jesus, are you the Christ, the Son of God? And Jesus says, you have said so. He assured them that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And so then they accuse him of blasphemy. And while he was there, these people, they were spitting in his face and striking him and slapped him. And they're mocking him, saying, prophesy to you, us Christ, who is it that struck you? So these leaders of the Jews were mocking and spitting at, and slapping, and striking Jesus, their Savior. What a sad sight to see. And then we see, as we continue the story, Peter denies Jesus. Peter, Jesus' closest friend, his closest disciple. Peter has three chances to assure others that he is with Christ. But three times, three times he denied Jesus Christ. Three times he denied his Savior. and it's in the, Luke's account of the gospel that says Jesus turned and he saw Peter. Peter as his best friend as he saw him deny him three times. This is the most stressed, this is the most stressed that Jesus has ever felt in his life. It's a brutal part in his life. This is the most difficult part of his life, and his best friend denies him the time when he, he, he needs love the most, when Jesus needs love the most and he turns to his friend, that's the time that his best friend denies him. We have to read this in context. Jesus is going through some difficult times, friends. Peter denied him three times. Then we continue the story in Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Jesus was delivered to Pilate, uh, who was the Roman governor of the city. And uh, We read in verse 11 of chapter 27, it reads, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they then had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the others persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, "Which of the two do you want me to release for you?" And they said, "Barabbas!" Pilate said to them, "Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ?" They all said, "Let him be crucified." And he said, "Why? What evil has done?" But they shouted all the more, "Let him be crucified." So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released from them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So these people were given an option of either releasing Barabbas, a notorious criminal who's done much evil in his life, or to release Jesus, who is called Christ, the Son of God. In the crowd, under the influence of the chief priests, the crowd demands, release Barabbas! Release Barabbas, this notorious criminal who's going to do much more evil in his life, but kill Christ. Pilate asks, why, what evil has he done? What evil has Christ done? But they yell, crucify him, crucify him! Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, had to hear his people yell, Crucify Him, crucify him, let his blood be on us and our children. And we see in verse 26, then he released from them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And now what a scourge is, it's it's a whip made up of two or three uh leather thongs, and these uh it's Knotted in it are these sharp pieces of metal. And what they would do, these these Roman soldiers, they would whip Jesus, and with these metal knots, as they were to take the whip back, it would take his skin off with him. And they would whip him and slash it back with these metal pieces knotted in the leather, sticking to his skin and knotting it back and ripping off his skin. And according to Frederick T. Zuggaby in his book, The Crucifixion of Jesus, A Forensic Inquiry, the repeated blows would cause broken ribs, lacerated and collapsed lungs, and damage the muscles in the torso, which would make it difficult and painful to breathe. So what's here is going on what many people miss is that Jesus is getting whipped with this leather whip and these pieces of metal knotted in the leather. And his ribs are crushed, broken ribs, lacerated and collapsed lungs and damaged the muscles in the torso. And at that point Jesus was nearly dead, pretty much. They were brutally beating him as they scourged him. And at this point, it was very difficult and painful for Jesus to breathe. If we continue the story in verse 27, it says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. So after these Roman soldiers are getting done scourging Jesus, ripping his skin apart, busting his ribs, painful for him to breathe, barely alive at this point, the Roman soldiers, they don't stop. They start mocking Jesus, and they spit at him, and they make him wear a crown of thorns. They mock him. They strike him on the head with the reed that he was holding, and they led him away to crucify him. Now, it was customary for the person getting crucified in the Roman times to carry his cross to the place of crucifixion, but it's likely that Jesus was so beaten at this time. He was so weak at this time that he couldn't even carry his own cross to the crucifixion. So they had Simon, a man of Cyrene, carry his cross. And we'll continue the story in verse 33. And as we're reading this, just connect with Jesus. Feel what he was feeling. Whether Do that however you need to, whether that's closing your eyes or just listening or reading, or looking up at the screen. Just really connect with what Jesus is going through. Verse 33. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a school, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots, Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews." And two robbers were crucified with them, one on the right and one on the left. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lemai sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing that said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many." When the centurion and those who were with them, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Truly, this was the Son of God. And now the crucifixion was so bad back then that the Roman uh, Empire rarely used this method of execution on their own citizens deserving death because this mode of execution, it was so brutal. They would drill a nail through Jesus' hands or wrists on both sides, and they would drill a nail through his feet, and they would prop it to where he was about a 45-degree angle. And the weight of the body on his arms would make it difficult for Jesus to breathe, so just for Jesus to get a breath of air, he had to raise himself off his feet, putting all the pressure, in the nail that's driven in his feet, all the pressure there. Just to get a breath of air. And Jesus is going through all of this as he was severely beaten earlier, and these people there are mocking him. Are mocking him. Our Lord and Savior. People were mocking him while he was suffering on that cross. Jesus suffered on that cross for six hours. Six hours. He had difficult breathing, just going up, putting all the pressure on his feet through the nail, just getting a breath of air. He did that for six hours. And near the end, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? This is a difficult time that Jesus was going through. We can read about the story of the cross so easily. We can say so easily that, yeah, we're forgiven. Jesus died for our sins. But let me tell you, Jesus didn't just die. Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered for six hours on that cross and suffered before then too. And not only did Jesus have to go through all this pain and torture But his heavenly father, our heavenly father, Yahweh, had to watch it all. His heavenly father, who loved Jesus so much, who was his perfect son, his heavenly father, Yahweh, had to watch his perfect son suffer for six hours. And as Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, They suffered. Jesus and God suffered through the cross. Not only that, but it was God's will that Jesus go through this. It was God's will that he watched his perfect son, Jesus Christ, suffer on that cross for six hours. And we ask, why? Why was it God's will? I mentioned this earlier a couple weeks ago, but the reason why God endured this, and it was his will It's because of you. It's because of you that Jesus suffered on that cross. It's because of you God wanted that to happen. Why? Because God loves you. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you, and he had this happen because of you. And we can ask, why did God want this to happen? Why? There are a number of purposes the cross but we're going to go ahead and take a look at two main purposes of the cross the main purpose number one is that through the cross your sins are paid for through Jesus' death on the cross our sins are paid for romans six twenty three clearly states that the wages of sin is death now i'll be the first one to admit that i have sinned i have sinned in my life So you know what? Paul says that I, I, Kyle, who have sinned, I deserve death. Nothing more, nothing less. I deserve permanent death with no going back. That's what I deserve as someone who has sinned. That's what we owe to God As we have sinned in our life, we owe God our life. We deserve death. However, Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins on that cross. 56 times in the Bible, it links Christ's death for sinners or our sin. So 56 times in the Bible, it states that Jesus Christ died for you as a sinner or for our sin. Jesus Christ died. Was a sacrifice for our sin. I I would read a verse about about it that clearly states that Jesus died for our sins, <laughs> but it's everywhere. Open up your Bibles, read the New Testament, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. We can see that Jesus Christ truly did die for our sins. We our sins have been forgiven. Don't belittle the meaning of the cross by questioning. If God truly has forgiven your sins, don't belittle the mean. Don't belittle what Jesus and God had to go through on that cross. Because they suffered. And they suffered for you so that your sins could be forgiven. Because, yes, we deserve death. Through the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross, we can partake in God's coming kingdom. The kingdom that we talked about last week, the never-ending celebration where nothing wrong will go happen, it'll be nothing but joy. We can partake in that because of Jesus' sacrifice on that sin because Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins. So don't belittle what happened on that cross because your sins truly have been forgiven. But remember what took place to have your sins forgiven. Remember what took place that you can, in the future, you can look forward to fully partaking in God's kingdom. Now, the second main purpose of Jesus' death is it serves as an atonement between us and God. Now, in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle. And it, it was a holy place. It was a place for priests to go. And inside the tabernacle, there was a place called the Holy of holies. It was a perfect 15-foot cube room, and God dwelled in the holy of holies. So here we have this tabernacle or temple that these Jews went to praise God, and they had this big tabernacle, but then they had this small 15-foot cube called the holy of holies, and God himself dwelled there. Now here's the catch. No one was to enter the holy of holies except for the high priest once a year. Once a year, the high priest was to enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And to separate this Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle and the rest of the world, there was this thick curtain or veil, this thick curtain that separated God's presence from sinful men. But now we see in the story of Jesus' crucifixion, in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 51, and it says, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain was torn. That's big news. That's big news. God in the Old Testament, he only dwelled in the most holy of holies, and only one person, the high priest, was to enter the holy of holies once a year. But through the crucifixion, through Jesus' death on that cross, that curtain was torn. And that signifies that we can have a relationship with God. God is within us. God is in amongst of us. He dwells with us. He is in our presence. This is big news. This is great news. When Jesus was crucified, the curtain was torn in two, and now we can partake in God's presence. And now God's presence is not only accessible to the high priest once a year, but God's presence is accessible to all men who seek him. And we can see this in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Just one of the last books of the Bible near the very end. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to read verses 19 and 20. The writer of Hebrews says, "'Therefore, brothers,' Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So the writer of Hebrews affirms us that through the blood of Jesus, we can now enter the holy places. In other words, through the blood of Jesus, we can now boldly enter the presence of God. Can I get an amen? This, this is good news. This is exciting news. The death of Jesus, yes, it's a sad story, but it brings us much joy. It can bring us much joy because our sins are forgiven. We can now seek a relationship with God. We can now experience God's presence. God's presence is amongst all of us because the curtain was torn in two. But now when we think about the symbol of Christianity, the symbol of Christianity is not Jesus hanging there, on the cross but rather the symbol of christianity as we see back here is an empty cross it's an empty cross because on the third day jesus was resurrected jesus is alive praise god the symbol of christianity the symbol of an empty cross signifies that jesus has victory over sin and death can i get another amen amen Jesus has victory over sin and death through the cross and the resurrection. The resurrection is so important. Now, I myself, I used to wonder, why is the resurrection so important? It's kind of a selfish thought. I thought, well, Jesus already died for my sins. I mean, yeah, it's, it's good news that Jesus was resurrected, but why is it so important that my sins are? are already paid for. And many of us may have that same thought. Why is it so important that Jesus rose from the grave? Well, the resurrection proved that Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. The resurrection proved that, yes, he was the Christ, the Son of God. As those leaders of the Jews back in Jesus' times, they doubted Jesus. They doubted that he was the Christ, the Son of God. And after that crucifixion, the centurion there, he saw that, wow, He truly was the Son of God. And the resurrection proved that Jesus really is the Messiah. And we can know that because the Jews, they were seeking their Messiah for over a thousand years. They had promises in the New Testament, in their scripture, in their Bible. They had promises of a Messiah, of a Christ, of a Son of God that would come and rescue and deliver them. And these Jews were earnestly seeking this Messiah. And while some people... Throughout history, took advantage of this, took advantage of the fact that these people were yearning to seek the Messiah. And many people came along and they claimed to be the Messiah. They would gather a crowd around them and this crowd would follow them and maybe they would do a few cool tricks along the way. And as these people were following these false Messiahs, there's this one thing that happened to all these Messiahs, all these false Messiahs claiming to be Christ. They all died. <laughs> They all died, and they did not come back. So these followers are following these, these people claiming to be the Messiah, but they really weren't, and they know that because these false Messiahs, they died, and they didn't come back. But Jesus Christ, our Messiah, the Son of God, he did die. He did suffer on that cross. But on the third day, he was resurrected. Jesus is alive again. That can prove that Jesus is the Messiah and others are not. And Paul emphasizes the importance of Jesus' resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 15 is known as the resurrection chapter. It's talking about the resurrection of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of us one day when Jesus comes back. And we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12, it reads, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. The gospel hinges on the fact that that Jesus was resurrected from the grave, that Jesus did truly indeed raise. If They said, if Paul says if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then how can we be assured that we are going to be resurrected from the grave one day? But we read that, yes, Jesus was resur- resurrected, so that means we too can be resurrected one day. And if Jesus had not been raised, then what I'm doing right here, preaching unto you guys, it would be in vain. This past two weeks talking about the gospel it would be all useless, pointless if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the grave because the resurrection proved that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah. And only the perfect son of God, Jesus Christ, could die and take our sin away. Only a perfect person could take that sacrifice of sin for our lives. So the resurrection affirms that this gospel message, this gospel message is true. It affirms that we have good news. It affirms that one day we are going to partake in God's kingdom. One day God is preparing for us a kingdom that is going to be a never-ending celebration where not even, nothing right now here on earth can compare to not even Walt Disney World because there will be no more crying, no more, no more pain or sickness, for the former things have passed away. The resurrection affirms that the kingdom is true. The resurrection affirms that Jesus truly did die for your sins. Jesus did die for your sins. Your sins are forgiven. All you have to do is accept that gift, that free gift. Romans 6, 23 states, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God through Christ Jesus our Lord is eternal life. The resurrection affirms that this is the good news. We have the good news. The good news of the kingdom and the cross and the resurrection. When we talk about the gospel, when people so loosely phrase the term the gospel, this is what we are talking about. This is the good news that we have as Christians, that even though we deserve death, that God is preparing for us a kingdom, a never-ending celebration that's going to be perfect, but we don't deserve that. But as we read, Jesus died for our sins, he was a sacrifice for our sins. And no ordinary person could be the sacrifice for our sins because we all have sins. We couldn't pay, I couldn't pay uh, John's uh, John's penalty of death. John couldn't pay Russ's penalty of death. Only Jesus could pay that penalty. And we see that Jesus did. And on the third day, Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And so that affirms us that us too, we can be resurrected From the grave when Jesus comes back. Guys, this is the good news. This is, yes, amen. Can I get an amen? This is the good news. Let's pray. Father God, you are such a loving God, a God who seeks a relationship with us, a God who earnestly seeks us and loves us. And through that love, you have given us the promises of the kingdom. And you have paid our penalty of sin through your perfect son, Jesus Christ. And you raised your son, Jesus Christ, on that third day. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for this good news, the good message. Thank you for the gospel message. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.